This one's like, oh, like that's too much energy on a Sunday morning doing this. <laughs> it's wonderful to be here, and it's wonderful to see you guys. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Kobela Toko Ingoa. My name is Bella. I'm a youth leader here and an intermediate leader, and I'm also a youth worker at Hutt Intermediate School. And um, I'm continuing the continuing our series on Philippians uh, that we're doing while our lovely pastor is on sabbatical. Hello, Dad, if you're listening. <laughs> he said he'd be watching, so he, he better. <laughs> um, we had the lovely Kathy Shepard start us off last week uh, with Philippians 1 to, verses 1 to 12, and uh, 1 to 11, sorry. And I'm continuing on with verses 12 to 18. Um, so she, Kathy shared some really cool facts about this city called Philippi. Um, if you missed out on her uh, sermon last week, we do have it up on the website and the YouTube channel. Yes? Yeah, there's a thumbs up from the back. So have a listen. She had some really cool facts in there about uh, Philippi, such as that um, it was named, founded and named after uh, King Philip II, King Alexander the Great's dad. Um, so the top picture is a picture of what it would have looked like back in the day, and the bottom one is kind of what it looks like now, which is really cool to see. Um, what I'm going to be looking at today is about Paul's situation as he's writing this letter to the Philippians. Uh, he is on house arrest somewhere. Uh, we actually don't know for sure which city he was in. Um, there is some argument whether that was Rome or Ephesus, um, but we do know that he is in a major Roman city, and he's on house arrest, which those of us who've been around for the past few years, we kind of know what that's like, eh, with COVID-19. We've, we've been through that lockdown, can't leave home. There are some major differences, uh, of course, between Paul's situation and ours. Uh, Paul didn't have any internet. <laughs> There's no entertainment, no easy communication with people. Um, he definitely did not have Uber Eats, uh, unfortunately. Uh, in fact, actually, he wouldn't have even gotten any food from his captors. He would have been dependent on uh, friends and people he knew to bring him food and provide that for him. Uh, and for the most part, he would have just had prison guards for company, something I think your children might have related to in lockdown. <laughs> uh, he would have had a few other people around as well. In fact, um, the church in Philippi, when they heard about Paul's situation, they sent... Um, a bunch of support, and uh, a man named Epaphroditus, there we go, I think I said that right, Epaphroditus, um, to help support him. Huh? Is someone, yeah, I got it right? Epaphroditus, yep. <laughs> it's, a little, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a tongue twister there for me right now. Um, he came over and he was supposed to help support Paul um, and maybe getting that food company, writing letters and such. Um, how unfortunately he became very ill when, while he was with Paul, so ill that when the, ch the church in Philippi heard about it um, and sent a message asking after him. So what Paul did in response is once um, Epaphroditus became, re he recovered, uh, Paul sent him back to Philippi with this letter that we call the church, uh, the book of Philippians. So here are the verses that we're going to be reading from today. Oh, I'm going to have to turn over here. Okay. Um, I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everyone else, too, found out that I'm in jail because of this Messiah that piqued their curiosity, and now they've learned all about him. 
Not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus here have become far more sure of themselves in the faith than ever, speaking out fiercely about God and about the Messiah. It's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. But others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I'm here defending the message, wanting to help. The others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad, they see me as their competition, and so the worse it goes for them, the better, they think, for them. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad, or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed, so I just cheer them on. And I'm going to keep that celebration going because I know how it's going to turn out. What really struck me, I was just reading these verses preparing for this, is that like, Paul's got a lot going on. He's, there's lots of things going on. He's, got, um, he's had these, been through unjust trials. He's facing the threat of execution, and he's living with the reality of imprisonment here. But he seems pretty upbeat about the whole thing. <laughs> He's, he, this message is overwhelmingly positive. He's feeling pretty good. Um, he's, no one would really complain. What? Bleh, no one would really blame him for complaining a little bit. He's got plenty to feel down about. Like I complain about the traffic being a bit slow sometimes. Like, but he doesn't. He, in fact, if when we read reread this verse in uh, the NIV here, whoop, going over here. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice, and yes, I will continue to rejoice. Uh, the word that he's got here is kairo, uh, uh, which means to rejoice, be delighted, be glad in. Um, it's also used as a greeting. Um, and I did a little bit of digging, and there's a few other places in the New Testament where it shows up. Um, you got this one, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is the reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Cool, Jesus. Okay. You sure about that? That doesn't sound something like we should be rejoicing. <laughs> There's another one. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I don't know about you, but this doesn't really seem the time to be rejoicing. This, what's going on here? I think sometimes as Christians, we can lose sight of what joy really is, and we can conflate it with happiness, with feeling positive, good times. I've got the joy of the Lord, but it's... Not quite, it's not quite that. Uh, it can easily become that sentimental gush that Kathy was talking about last week. And it can become a mask to cover how we're really feeling. And that, that kind of joy is really different from what Paul is expressing here. You can feel it from the very start of when you read the start from the beginning of Philippians through to what I've just finished with. So what really is joy? Well, I'm glad you asked. I've got a three-point sermon on that. Okay, point number one, not despite the circumstances, but because of the circumstances. Returning to these verses, Paul's reporting to the church in Philippi that he's been able to preach um, the gospel to his guards. Now, um, these guards that he's referring to, they're actually called the Praetorion. They're the imperial guard. 
they're one of the reasons we know that he has to be in, on house arrest in a major city because they're not, in, they're not everywhere in the Roman Empire. They're a pretty big deal. Um, and because of his imprisonment, he's able to, pre to talk to them and have conversations about Jesus with them. And they're having conversations with each other about Jesus, and they're going home to their barracks and going home to their homes and talking about Jesus. And now everyone else is talking about Jesus because of this imprisonment. Um, and not only that, not only are these, these high-level soldiers having these conversations, but also the Christians in Philippi, despite Paul's imprisonment, are actually, they're actually emboldened. They're not deterred. They're not scared. They're not stopping. They're just they're going for it. They're, they're stepping out and saying, getting even more bravely and fearlessly speaking the word of God, Christ. It's amazing. It's really cool. And to keep on... Ugh. And in fact, remembering that there has to be a major city, the Imperial Guard are here. Major city means major hub. It, there are people coming to Philippi, oh, not Philippi, sorry, coming to the city, whether that be Rome or Ephesus, merchants, politicians, traders, pe people traveling on their way to other places. So they have got these imperial guards and their families talking about Jesus. They've got the Christians even more boldly going out. And so that is even more spreading to these merchants who are then taking the gospel from the city further out, away from this. It's, ama it's absolutely amazing. Can you imagine this? This is so cool. Um, it's so easy for us to become disheartened when we face injustice or when doors are closed on us. Um, I know some of us feel that way when it came to Bibles not being in schools. But this situation here that's happening with Paul really just shows how much God is in control. If you talk to Paul, I imagine that the best way, like if you'd asked him, what's the best way to like spread the gospel, he would not have said not being able to leave the house. This is a man famous for going on ships to the ends of the earth, walking and traveling as far as he could. He loved it. He would have preferred to be able to walk out into the cities, to go and personally meet with people and speak with them. And yet God's put him in this position where he can't leave the house and that has opened up opportunities to speak to people he never would have had otherwise. It's amazing. And not just people directly, but indirectly. Oh, it's just so cool. Oh my gosh. Uh, I've got this verse here. Uh, this is Genesis. This is, uh, this is Joseph speaking. His brothers have come to him and apologized again for all the terrible stuff that they've done to him. Because <laughs> they're kind of scared of his reaction. And he says... You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. There, is pe there are people who meant Paul and his message harm, but God knew what he was doing, and, God and Paul found joy in these circumstances because it provided opportunities that he never had before. Uh, point number two. Joy, not forced positivity, but finding delight in what God delights in. Paul talks to the Philippians about how there are some people who are preaching the gospel, some of them out of the goodness of their heart, out of love for the message of Christ and for God. But there are others who are doing it for less than stellar reasons. 
there is a bit of, again, a bit of argument about who these people were. They might have been a group of Christians who didn't like Paul, saw him as competition, whatever that may, maybe disagreed with him. It could also have been a group of people who were just out in the streets gossiping about, hey, did you hear about that Paul guy? Refusing to worship the emperor because of his Messiah. Have you heard about that? Just people gossiping and so ended up spreading the word of God through the sharing of this gossip and taking delight in have you heard about this weird-ass prisoner? Uh, <laughs> um, whatever, the, whatever the case it may be, whatever, whoever these people were, and that Paul's response is, I've decided that I don't really care. <laughs> Who cares? Not important. Um, it's good enough for him that the message of the Lord is being spread. Now, I do want to clarify that Paul's not seeing here that your intentions aren't important, that your heart's not important. We do have, it's, God has said many times throughout the Bible that your heart is the most important thing. In fact, you've got the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches that holding anger in your heart will face the same judgment as murder. But what Paul is saying here is that it, uh, he doesn't care that these people are trying to hurt him. It doesn't matter to him that they're doing that because what they're doing is actually causing him to rejoice because they don't understand that the most important thing, like his circumstances, his well-being, his reputation don't matter to him whatsoever. It is all about the spreading of the gospel. Tear him down, bring him out. He doesn't care. It's about God and this mission that he has. This leads into point number three here. Oops, sorry. Seeing past the current battle to the end of the war. Now, I'm a, bit, I'm a huge fantasy nerd. <laughs> I haven't since I was little. Uh, so for me, when I was reading these verses, it was... It just came coming up with these, this imagery of you've got the underdog hero, eh? Who's just getting wailed on by the villain. Just absolutely, and, but no, and the villain's just going at him, and no matter what the villain does, the hero just keeps getting back up, and he's struggling, and he can't quite get there, but he manages to get back to his feet every single time. And it gets to the point where the villain just bursts out. What are you doing? You can't win here. There is nothing. You are done. This is lost. Just stay down. And the hero is, just looks up and laughs through all the blood in their face and goes, this, this isn't about me. I don't care. Take me down. Take me out. This is, no, this is bigger than my life. If I die, the fight will continue. And that's when you've got that big boom that happens in the background and the villain turns and all of a sudden you've got that hero's allies who have come up out of nowhere and completely turned the tide around. And there's victory. It's great. You've got, it's such a good moment you've got in Lord of the Rings. Uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movies. But uh, in Return of the King, um, Aragorn here, it, he's leading the armies of Gondor and Rohan to the Black Gates of Mordor. And you've got the gates open, and you can just see the horde of orcs. It's 10 times the size of the army that they have. And everyone there 
is all grim-faced because they know that every single one of them is going to die. There is no hope of winning this battle, but that's not the point. They are there not to win the battle, but to give Frodo and Sam enough time to destroy the one ring so they can win the war. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, this is proverb, a society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit. Sometimes we don't get to see the end. Hmm? Sorry. Oh, sorry, I heard Mer speaking. I, I stop and listen to Mer when she speaks. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we don't always get to see the ending of things. Sometimes we'll start projects and hand those off to other people to continue it. And sometimes that gets handed off to other people to complete it. We don't always get to see the resolution, but we have this hope that like, it's not, we're just one part of many, and it's not about the individual victory, but the war. And, and we know how it all ends as well. It's not like we're fighting a war and we don't know how it's gonna end. We've got this beautiful picture in Revelation of heaven coming down to earth and everything being made new, God dwelling with us. And our part in this life, this moment we live in, is not the end. We have hope in a future thanks to the cross, thanks to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And we get to be a part of a whole network of people continuing this work. And that's the gospel. That's, that's what we're living for. That's what we're doing. That's the point of everything that we do, is this hope in future. We've got it up on the walls here. Strong in faith, rich in love, released in action. That is the point of what we do. Paul tells the church that he's going to continue celebrating, continue rejoicing, because for him, the gospel, that mission, was the most important thing to him. Everything else was worthless. His reputation, his accomplishments, everything was nothing to, when compared to this mission. There was only God, the one who saved him. He was going to live for Christ, even if that meant dying for Christ, because that meant living for him. Bit of a roundabout dichotomy of living and dying. The point is to live, and we will live for Christ, because what, even if we have to die for him, because what is life without Jesus? Ugh. It's amazing. Um, I've got this song, so just to sort of wrap things up. Um, when I was in youth group going to Easter camp down at Southern Easter camp, the band had this song. I tried finding one on YouTube, and I couldn't, um, couldn't and what, it was too long ago. <laughs> um, but the chorus goes like this, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I give my life to live for the glory of your name. We are here to live for Jesus. We are here because of what he has done, and we will continue living for what he has done, even if that means death, because what else can we do? Injustice is an opportunity. Death is a victory. To live is Christ, 
and that is our joy. Amen? Amen. Awesome. It's a bit shorter today. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, shall I pray as our, the worship team comes up? Okay. Dear Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for the sacrifice you have made, the purpose you have given us in this life that we know that no matter what, we will, we have this hope that you have won the war, that injustice is not the end. We pray, Lord, that we live for you and that in everything we do brings you glory forever and ever and amen. I've decided to lift my eyes. <laughs>